Welcome to season two of the SCMRC Lead Podcast, featuring epic supply chain lessons from our industry partners. My name is Donnie Williams, and I am the Executive Director of the Supply Chain Management Research Center in the Walton College at the University of Arkansas. Season two of the podcast will be hosted by Mike Grain. Mike is the Director of the Retail Supply Chain Initiative, and this is a strategic partnership within the SCMRC. The goal of this initiative is to surface the challenges and opportunities of on-shelf availability, or OSA, focusing on the concepts, tools, and technologies driving retail OSA. Season two will feature a dynamic guest list of retailers, CPG suppliers, solution providers, and industry leaders to drive collaborative efforts and advance learning within the industry. Thank you for joining and enjoy the podcast. I am super excited to have Dean Frew join us from SML Technologies on the podcast today. Dean has been an industry expert way back in 1984, started with Texas Instruments and really started understanding technology. Uh, in 2002, he started his own company, which was a software company that uh, really took advantage of RFID technology at the item level. In 2013, his technology was purchased by a company by SML Technologies, and he's been the head technology officer of SML Technology since that time. Dean has got an incredible experience with working with retailers, brand owners, and solution providers to put technology in to really drive on-hand accuracy and on-shelf availability. Please welcome to the podcast, Dean Frew. Thank you, Mike. Awesome. It's so good to see you and, and appreciate you taking some time to talk to our uh, audience about the importance of the retail supply chain and, and specifically the role that uh, that RFID and on-hand accuracy play in all that. We've actually been talking um, to everybody and asking them before we get into whatever the focus area for the retail supply initiative is, if they have a personal story as a customer where you wanted to purchase something from a retail outlet, either an online purchase or an actual brick and mortar purchase, and you went to get it assuming you could get it and you didn't have it, and how that made you feel. Do you have any real good examples that you could walk us through? I've got a couple, all of us do. Um, mine, uh, got a, the one I'll talk about first is um, wife loves this one retailer, um, so does daughter. I've got four kids, but my daughter and my wife uh, ordered a bunch of stuff for Christmas, right? So helping dad out, making sure he gets the right stuff. So they order it or tell me what to order. I order it online. I'm going to pick it up in store. And, um, of course my typical approach being a busy guy is I wait until the 23rd of December. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I expect when a retailer tells me that, that my stuff is ready for pickup, that when I go to pick it up, it's there. Um, and, um, major shock when I show up and, um, I'm now in a world of hurt because the stuff that, uh, the only stuff that the two ladies in my life have asked me to pick up was no longer there. And now mm. I'm left to my own devices to come up with something better. So did and you so, have another choice of another place to get it or did you know? Cause this was private it? label stuff. Okay. Oh. And so it, it wasn't like I need a green t-shirt. It was, I need a green t-shirt from this company. Right. Gotcha. gotcha. So that's one. The other one is one where during COVID I ordered an additional office chair. 
Okay. And, um, and so this is kind of on the other side of it where, um, they told me that the office chair was out of stock and I would have to order another one. So I ordered another one and they both showed up. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, you know, you've got the, the other situation where your inventory accuracy is so bad, you don't think you have it, but the order system actually found it mm. and shipped it to me. So I had a couple of $300 office chairs and I only paid for one. And of course I called up the vendor and they said, which we're starting to hear is a term now, which is just keep it. Just keep it. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, those are a couple of examples. Yeah. Interesting. I heard somebody the other day, this is an interesting comment. This is one person's perspective. If I go into a store to buy something, let's just say a printer cartridge, and it's not there, I'm disappointed. Okay, cool. He said, but if I actually order it online and I pay my money, then I go in to pick it up, I feel like I got lied to. And I was exactly. like, exactly. There's a trust issue. Exactly. There is a trust. It, and then, I, you know, I never thought, I mean, I've been working in on shelf availability for 25 years, right? I never connected that. Wait a minute. There's a difference between I ordered and paid my money and now you don't do it versus just being disappointed if something's not on the shelf. Yeah. Right? It's that whole issue of, I think, clawing back your money. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's a clawback process that we have to go through, much like what happens when we buy something we find out it's defective. Right. Okay. We've got to go now, but at least in that situation, I can bring it in and I can say, see, it's defective. Right. And there's somebody to talk to, to get a return if it's a human. So yeah, right. I think it's, it's right. applicable. Well, you have a very, very unique, um, and you and I have worked together for years. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm just going to compliment you a little bit. You have a very interesting ability to understand the business challenges very, very well, as well as understanding the technology. Usually you get people who are really good at the tech, but they don't really quite understand the business. Or you get people who are really good at the business, but they don't understand the tech. You have this one unique individual uh, that you actually put those things together. You could just as easily talk to the CEO of JCPenney as some technology provider. So give us some perspective. I mean, I just covered your work history for the, via the introduction, but how in the world did you get to where you are? Because you are you are playing a very important leadership role in the industry in this whole idea of on-hand accuracy. Well, thanks. I mean, it, it um, you know, I was uh, an athlete in college. I was an engineer. Um, I wasn't that good as a student. And I went to my first job at Texas Instruments and I was awful at it. And so um, it's not one of these things where you started off, you know, I went to New Mexico State and then went into um, Texas Instruments. The first job I was not good at at all. And fortunately, um, there was an opportunity for me to move into R&D. And I did that and, and uh, moved into something. What I found was is that I was pretty good at kind of being a systems guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I was developing some advanced packaging of semiconductors and things like that that we use today in RFID, actually. And sure. um, and so from there, I was presenting at a conference as a 28 year old and had somebody see me and they said, you know, have you ever thought about going to Washington, D.C. and running technology programs for us? And I thought, didn't even know we had an, an office there. Hmm. And so then they moved me from the technical ladder over into management. And then I ran technology in Washington, D.C. for TI for three years and then did some M&A work and some corporate strategy work and 
found out that kind of putting together the pieces of the puzzle, I and mean, I had another interview with somebody one day and I, I said, I'm more like a, an orchestra conductor than I am um, the number one viol violinist, okay? And um, anyway, so I found myself doing that and then uh, TI did something that was a huge benefit to myself and my family and that was they did this complete psychological evaluation, which at the end of that, they didn't fire me, which was good. Um, they didn't call the police, which was also good, but they, you know, basically it helped you determine really, you know, I was not the guy that was going to go shut down the plant in the Philippines. Right. And so um, it was to give somebody a challenge, give Dean a challenge, let him do it. So anyway, I, I started doing venture funded stuff, uh, internal and external venture funded stuff. And then, um, I'd done some work in RFID back in the mid nineties, um, at Texas instruments. And, um, so, uh, was in a software company where I was a representative at MIT in nine, in 2000 through 2002, where the standards were being developed and, um, decided that, uh, I wanted to go a little different direction. So I came and started a company and, took my youngest son and told him he needed to go sleep with his sister upstairs. Cause I was taking over his bedroom to start a company and with a vision that as we moved to item level, you know, with everything serialized, it was going to change the industry. I didn't know how I, I made a lot of mistakes, but you know, for the last, it'll be 20 years this summer, um, basically started a company, sold it to SML in 13 and, and now take on the role I've got now. So, you know, um, Love. I'm very, very fortunate. Texas Instruments was an incredible place. I mean, the culture there, the teamwork, the, you know, the flat organization um, learned a, an enormous amount in my 20s and 30s there. And uh, and it's been a blast to build this thing. It's a, it's a blast to be part of something that's a global company like this. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you certainly have have the ability to be able to communicate that from a business perspective uh, as well as a technology. And and there's a lot of reason why things aren't on the shelf where they belong. But And I've said there's probably three reasons. Number one, the on-hands are wrong. Number two, store operations isn't doing what they need to do to get the product out of the back and get it on the sales floor. And then this big, completely complicated thing called the supply chain, whatever that means is not allowing product flow through. But on-hand accuracy, let's just plant right there because that's really one of the key benefits of leveraging RFID. You've been in this as long, probably longer than I have in terms of the on-hand accuracy. I've been involved with RFID since about 2003, but we started at the case level. We didn't start at the item level. Right. So, so what's this journey been like, this whole <laughs> getting people to understand the importance of on-hand accuracy and the fact that you can't throw people at it, you can't throw process at it, and how do you get RFID? Because to me, 2022, we seem like we've gone from kind of nice, slow, steady to growth to we're starting to hit the rocket ship. We're starting to really oh, help oh. people understand. What do you think some of the driving factors that people finally now get it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, clearly your perspective is, is in my opinion, spot on. It's that, you know, there was a fundamental technology that was developed years ago. And really after we came out of MIT's auto ID center, we had a form, we had some technology protocols and that was essential, right? We had the users that would meet on a Tuesday and we and the technology committees would meet on Wednesday. And our job was to take what they wanted and create an open protocol an open standard to do that. And so I think one of the smartest things that ever happened was that we threw we threw that kind of model together. It would be like if all of us as users of cell phones 
got together and we decided what we wanted. And then we told the cell phone companies what it was. And so anyway, it, it, it that was the beginning is, is we, we sat there and the, the general feeling was, is if we could read with our, we, we read with an RF signal where we moved away from line of sight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we were able to put into the payload, not just what the, that it's a blue medium t-shirt or that it's a case of Gatorade, but it's this case of Gatorade. It is this blue medium t-shirt that fundamentally, if we put a bunch of smart people together in an industry, we would figure out how to transform a number of different industries. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of it. And, and then, you know, we, uh, we walked through the same journey you did with, you know, we did Pepsi, Tropicana, Gatorade, Exxon Mobil, Dial, we did all their cases and pallets. And what we found was, is that we kind of missed the mark a little bit because the out-of-stock situation wasn't quite as critical as what we found in 2007, 8, 9, which was moving to high-skew mix, high-skew density type product areas is like apparel and footwear and home goods and fragrance and cosmetics and electronics and things like that. Yep. That was more valuable. There was an ROI there. And, and so we saw that transmi- transformation in 7, 8, 9, and 10, started the model. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Jeffrey Moore and crossing the chasm. Okay. And, and I think this market is the only market I've ever been part of where I've seen that happen, where there's a lot of activity, a lot of activity. We had, you know, American apparel was an early customer. Macy's was an early customer. Walmart clearly wasn't an early customer, but then it, it, we refined the model. We as the technology community and the users, and we came up with a business case. And then now we're at this place where, you know, it is going to be how a number of these retail segments, they manage inventory at the fundamental right. level. And right. so that's what we're In at some today. cases yeah. like Macy's, it's already 100% of the way they do it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. we got retailers that are all in, right? Now, not all of them are all in, but a lot of them are all in. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're going to continue just, you know, I use the example of Wrigley put a barcode on for Meyer in Ohio for the first time in 74 and we've been managing inventory the same way since 1974. Yep. And so I think we're going to, you know, we're cl- this is clearly going to be not something that that ends. It's not a bubble. Mm-hmm. It, uh, the value propositions cannot be matched with anything, no matter how much AI money you spend, no matter, you know, what you do on your labor side, you cannot address the fundamental problem without a technology like this. Yep. hundred percent. So where do you think it's going? Where, where do you think this – so obviously we're going to get category expansions. We're going to go from apparel to other categories that make sense. And I yeah. I personally don't think it'll ever be 100% of a product in a, in a store like a Walmart store. I don't think it's always ever going right. to be 100%. Could be wrong, but but I don't see it in my lifetime anyway. Yeah. But, but talk about some of the other business capabilities because everybody just loves the fact that you can – very quickly, very accurately, get your on hand much more accurate than it's been before. Where, what are the help us understand from a from a perspective, business problem perspective? Once you've got that fundamental tag and reader kind of talking in the store and in the supply chain, paint a vision for us. What else we can do with that data once we've got it? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, as we've seen, you know, we have well over five thousand sites around the world using their software and. And as we, we've seen across all these different customers is they start off what we call the inventory use cases. They're the fundamental ones. Give me stock count, give me receiving, moves. And let's move now into the new operational use cases. Enhanced, operate, buy online, pick up in store, replenish from back to front, promotion picking. Then we move into loss prevention. You know, um, We can move into things like 
returns fraud detection because now every single item I can determine if it's ever been sold before. And if it's been sold, then I'm going to give you a different return um, rate than if it's not been sold. If it's the theft where they took five items off the shelf and brought it over to returns desk. So we've got loss prevention use cases, and then we've got customer experience use case, which is everything from kiosks and dressing rooms to self-checkout and point of sale and scan and go off your cell phone. And then we're moving to kind of the futuristic stuff where we're dealing with machine learning and AI-based replenishment models, the weather changes in Bentonville, and all of a sudden I change my replenishment values for the, my raincoats to from two on the floor to eight on the floor and immediately the system knows to do that so mm -hmm. you know and we're, we've done robots before we've done other things and so you know it, what we see is every customer goes through that journey they start off with the fundamentals because that pays for the tags okay which is the high in most retailers that's the highest cost item yep. over time and yep. so you've got to have a fundamental business case and i think what I've seen over the years is that it used to be where we had people, we had retailers going, well, we want to start with dressing room. And it's like what well, they all failed because they never could produce an ROI large enough to do the base. But once you paid for that, you can do other things. So what we're seeing is, is we're moving out of just inventory to where our systems are being used for operational. They're running the stores. Yep. Every process in the store is touching that touches the garment, an item is using a platform that leverages item level to do that job right that's awesome yeah. awesome so so here's a here's another interesting question around um use cases and i'm not sure that everybody completely understands it from a technical perspective but i want to talk a little bit about literally serialization and the fact that i have a unique license plate a unique number for every single selling unit so instead of i have this particular upc and i got 12 of them i have an individual license plate for every selling unit that's out there i don't think people are taking advantage of that i think they're just reading them all and summing it up and say i got 12 of them but what are some of the key unlocks that you see from a business perspective about that serialization? And that could be RFID. It could be 2D barcode. I'm not saying this has yeah. to be specifically RFID. But where do you see the future of this and the opportunities for the, the whole serialization of, of items in a store? Yeah, and I think it's a great question. I mean, I'm, we're starting to say the trans, we're trying to start talk about the transformation is not RFID per se. Right. It's moving to item level. And I know you and I agree on that. Yep. And, yep. and so whether it's a 2D barcode that has the, the information in it or whether it's an RFID tag, that's just a, a, a data carrier discussion. Mm -hmm. um, but when you start thinking about the fact that, you know, this shirt, if I, if I have item level data on it, I could tell you when it was this shirt was made. I could tell you where it was made. Right. I could tell you what went into it to make it. I could tell you when it went through a DC. I could tell you when it went into a store. And now that we're dealing with circularity and some of the work we're involved in, I can tell you that that Mike Green had it before I did. Yep. And now he's resold it to me on Poshmark. Yep. And now, you know, he had it for four years and now I have it. Whether I know his name or not, the fact is I now can can determine that this shirt has been in the market for four for four years through one time. You know, it's like when we buy a car. Exactly. You know, we go into CarMax and we can tell you all this the information. Whole history. Yep. The whole history of it. And I think, mm -hmm. while that's not applicable to some things, I do think that is part of where we're going. 
Right. Think of warranty, okay, for things yeah. outside of um, outside of apparel and in some things. Think of sporting equipment. Think of electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, think of things associated with uh, um, brand authentication. Mm-hmm. There's some very interesting things going on with multiple brand owners and retailers about using things inside that item level data to determine and verify that the items are, are um, legitimate and not and not uh, counterfeit. So right. there's some of the examples, yeah. Great point. You know, one of the things that I, that I typically talk to people at Walmart, because they're they like, well, I'm not sure what the value is. And then I go, let's run through a real scenario where your on-hand accuracy is 100%. It's not today. Let's just say it is. If you have three television sets in the store, how many do you have available for sale? And of course, their answer is always three. I go, no. One of them's on the wall displaying to customers. One of them just got returned by a customer because it did it said it didn't work and it's sitting back in claims. One of them is available for sale. So being able to provide a status of customer availability versus how much do I have is yeah. one of the, I think, a key in lock from a retail perspective. And then be able to track it all the way through the supply chain. Wait, I didn't get that TV. Yeah, you did. Here's the serial number of the TV that I sent to you. If you have that serial number in your system, you got the TV. You cannot give me a claim for it. So you're exactly right. And I think, you know, obviously we've got really, really good companies out there that are really starting to think about the whole product authentication and, you know, black market and trying to trying to rip off their trademarks and stuff like that. Well, I now know every serial number of the things that I produced. I can tell you what's valid and what's not. So that's that's pretty cool. It was in, we have got we've got one retailer we're working with where their home delivery they sell equipment. I'll just say equipment, okay? Yep. And and the whole whole deli- the whole home delivery process that ties into warranty, that ties into customer service, that ties into all of that can can be improved by 20 30 minutes on a delivery because they're not filling out a bunch of paperwork. Wow. Okay. And doing it all because they're having to go look on the, the thing and look for the serial number that's super, always super small. And, yep. and they can just boom, boom, boom in an app, get somebody to sign and they're out the door rather than filling out all the paperwork and signing. So I think there's a bunch of things that we're going to find on the services side of retail, the retail business. That's yep. also helpful. Yep. Yep. So, Dean, one of the reasons that I wanted to chat with you is just SML Technologies as a company. Yeah. Um, I've obviously been working with you for a number of years. Uh, I've seen your solution in work. I've seen the retailer's reaction to it. Give us some perspective about SML. You're, you you are absolutely been successful, not only in the U.S., but internationally. D- tell us some of the major components of it and why are people choosing SML solutions to, to solve their business problems? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, the, the business was started basically making labels and tags. And um, in 2010, the, the management team of SML determined that, hey, this whole item level RFID thing is going to take off. And um, they began investing in that space. And then in 13, they, they realized that as long as we're just a commoditized piece of data carrier, um, it would be better for us if we were part of the enterprise solution side of things. And so then that's when they purchased my software company here in Dallas. Okay. And, and so what it does is it allows us to address the two key components in the overall solution, which is the data carrier 
not trivial, right? I mean, we produced almost 3 billion tags last year for retail. Wow, and, wow. and so when you think about the days of a printer and printing and encoding, those days are gone. We're, we're printing and encoding at a tag a second now across multiple <laughs> lines in multiple facilities. So that whole thing of keeping track of the serial number, organizing and inter interfacing to the retailer system um, to get all the data together and all that, that's part of our business. And, and I would tell you probably 95% of the major projects in the, in the world are leveraging us for some or all of our, of their tags. Okay. Okay. And the second part of the business is this part that, um, you know, I'm responsible for the technology on the RFID tag, but beside, but I'm also, running the software business and the software business is completely different. We're, we're the ones that are touching the ROI. We're touching the business process. And, you know, we bring this unique perspective to the table of being able to be these systems people and uh, where it doesn't matter if we make good software, if the tags aren't good and it doesn't make it, you know, we've seen multiple projects where we weren't the software provider and those projects failed and were canceled because the software never worked. And so, you know, we've got this unique capability. We don't force the customer to pick both of them. Um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But we are bringing that to the table under what we call total care, hmm. which is the systems view of things that say, you know, you got to get the data carrier right, and then you've got to get the enterprise software right. And more importantly, that software has to grow across that use case spectrum hmm. over time, because this is not going to be just a give me a counter. You're going to want to use the information like you talked about earlier, Mike, yep. across the life, across the spectrum of processes, across the life cycle of the product, whether it be from factory to store or whether it be from stock count to self-checkout. And then putting the technologies in place to do that. And, you know, from, from our standpoint, RFID now represents from zero in 2010, it now represents 40% of our business. Yeah. worldwide and we're you know we have deployments on the software side in 40 countries wow and um, we manage over 250 million items a week that are being counted and and managed on our software so you know the, the, the problem is is that the market's growing extremely fast and it is only in my my estimation is only about 15 percent penetrated Yep. in us and europe so we've got a long way to go but it's a blast to ride this and mm -hmm. um, to have watched it grow from an idea to um to actually be something that's creating so much value for clients yeah great point great point well i think the other thing too is i would argue is for those people who are just getting involved with you know the rfid technology understand what it does okay great well how do i get started the reality is there's several components, right? There's a tag component, there's a hardware component, there's a software, there's a cloud base, there's applications, there's all these other pieces. And if you have to go to seven different companies to work with those companies to try and deliver a solution, it can be somewhat overwhelming. Yeah. The one thing I really love about SML is they have the ability to say, for the most part, we're one-stop shop. We'll figure out your business yeah. need. We'll come up with the ROI with you. Or you can come up with the ROI. We'll put in the solution. Do you want fixed infrastructure or do you want a wanting solution? Okay, et cetera. Here are all the pieces of the puzzle. It's like going to a car dealership and just buying a car rather than I'll pick out that engine and then I got to go pick this transmission. I got to figure out how to make them talk and work, et cetera. That's what I really love about the SML solution is they you, you basically work with the client to basically put all those pieces together, which is- Yeah, awesome. and our, our job is we, 
you know, we're coming to the table with a Swiss army knife. Right. Okay. And not every customer uses every tool on that. And, um, you know, we, we don't make the hardware, but we we're one of the largest resellers for handhelds in the world. And and so we, you know, you want this handheld, you want that, you want this reader. Our job is to make sure we address your business problem, not that we are um, pushing something that, that we happen to make. And, uh, and so anyway, it's a, you know, I, I think it's a good model. We've spent a lot of time building it and um, refining it and making every mistake that you can and learning from it. And uh, But what's most important to us is watching a customer go from, you know, we increased our sales by 3%. Yeah. Okay. Because exactly. our availability went up. The, we reduced our inventory by 10%. I mean, yeah. these are, you know, you never hear the AI. I hate to, I hate to beat on the AI teams, but you never really hear the AI teams give you a hard ROI. And, right. uh, but you know, this is, this is hard benefits yeah. that you can put, you can sink your teeth into. For sure. So a couple of last follow-up questions that I have. Yeah. The first is if somebody's interested in getting a hold of somebody at SML to have about this technology, uh, do you have a website or a contact that you yeah. can steer them in? And what would that be? Yeah, so you can go to sml-rfid.com and it'll point you to our item level RFID page. And there's a number of places you could download. We just did an exhaustive study of U.S. and European retailers on the importance of inventory accuracy. And that study's free. You can download it. You can reach out to us and ask for more information. Um, we have, uh, offices in all over the world in Sweden, UK, France, Dubai, throughout the U S our headquarters is here in Plano, Texas. Um, we have offices in Hong Kong and Shenzhen. And so, you know, uh, we're, we're doing projects for the largest and some of the smallest retailers in the world. And, um, our, our, you know, at this point in time, the, the job that we're doing is trying to bring this item level world to reality for our clients. Perfect. Perfect. Last question for you, Dean. What question should I have asked you, but I didn't? What's hot well, on consi- your mind that yeah. I didn't ask? Considering, considering you're representing the uh, University of Arkansas, um, the question is, uh, and you had you, one of the things we talked about early on before we did this was, what would I tell a student? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and more importantly, what would I tell the dean of a university? And uh, what I would tell the dean of the university is um, get out of the status quo Mm. for inventory management. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you really want to provide value to your students, focus on, you know, think about what was taught in 1975, 76, 77 about moving from that key coded point of sale to now a scan based trading. Mm-hmm. Teacher, t- teacher, students work with clients much like we've seen at Arkansas for years, and much like we've seen at Auburn. Work on this item level world because that's where the world is going. If you want to create opportunities in almost every retail segment, you know, focus on, um, you know, focus on. I'm trying to do that at my alma maters, which is Virginia Tech and New Mexico mm-hmm. State. Okay. And so, um, but you know, that's what I would tell the dean of a university. Okay, awesome. and, and the students, I would tell you, don't be satisfied focusing on how the existing retailers work. You have an opportunity, University of Arkansas, to be around Walmart, which is on the cutting edge of what's going on. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Especially in light of the fact that 
Walmart's not satisfied with a with apparel. They're yeah. obviously having some very very aggressive uh, expansion plans. Um, it, it is here to stay for sure. I mean, it, it has it has morphed. It's stored. It's stalled. It's moved on forward, and now suddenly they got it, and they are saying, "Okay, boy, if it works for apparel, I think it'll work for most of general merchandise too." So it's exciting. Uh, it's almost scary because the demand is going, and that's, you know, I'm kind of going, is the supply there? Are we sure we are okay? There's always those kind of questions, but uh, most people feel comfortable that we're within reason now, but if a couple of other companies kind of launch on this thing and go big, we may have some supply chain opportunities for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Dean, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You are, you are a good friend and a great colleague, yeah. and uh, I've certainly enjoyed working with you, and I just appreciate you taking time to give me some perspective from your from your seat about the industry as well as you know how sml can help some of the retailers and suppliers out there no i appreciate it mike and i hope that it was the folks who listen in in the audience uh, found it to be valuable yep thank you very much take Thanks. care see you bye thank you for taking the time for this epic discussion a special thanks to mike grain for leading the retail supply chain initiative on behalf of the walton semrc we are delighted to lead with you as we learn, engage, address, and develop all things supply chain to lead the world of commerce from Northwest Arkansas. Have a great day.